TFB Paint Week 10 is in the books. I'm back with you this week, Brian. We've got Steve and Court both on the call today. Uh, awesome week of college football we want to dive into. Uh, a lot of close games, a lot of near upsets, some actual upsets. But before we do, we're going to start with our rapid round, get our instant reactions. So we're going to do it on the order of the worst handwriting. Uh, and there was a little bit of chatter before we start on who this might be. Uh, Steve, do you want to lead us off with who you think might have the worst handwriting here? Uh, yeah, I, I am hands down the one with the worst handwriting. The funny thing is, like, even now for work, like, I still, like, I keep a notebook right next to my, you know, right next to my desk where I write down, like, notes of things I need to do. I do put reminders in my calendar and stuff, but it's, yeah, just chicken scratch, chicken scratch, chicken scratch. And I've got notebooks full of it. When you, get, me of... when you read it, that's the question. Oh, yeah. So the other thing is, like, my wife and I keep, like, a little, it's it's called, like, oh, gosh, I can't even remember some little journal where there's like five lines for a day and it's five years. Right. So you have like the same day, like for instance, you know, today's November 6th, November 6th, we have it for 2020, 2021, 2022, 2023, and eventually 2024. And we go back every day we write in it. And then we read what happened in previous years. And there's always like a few times where if I'm the one that's written that day, you know, you read the sentence and all of a sudden there's a pause and sometimes I'm like, here, give it to me. Let me let me decipher it. And a few times it takes me a little bit, but it's usually pretty quick. But my, my wife is sometimes like adamant. She's like, no, I'm going to figure this one out. Uh, but there are a few times she has to admit defeat. She'll be like, what on earth does that say? <laughs> I, I think I'm probably a, a close second on this one. Uh, I also keep keep a notebook at my desk at all times and I jot stuff down and sometimes I go back and sometimes I don't, but it's just kind of how I process information that I just have to write it down for a second uh and when i write it down just for me it's pretty chicken scratchy to where it's not super legible to everyone else when i write it down to be read by somebody else i'm capable of upgrading my handwriting at least to legibility um so it's not particularly pretty in any way but it can be read by most people um but uh yeah my, my standard handwriting is uh very uh quick and dirty and uh i i think Maybe puts me in the second position here, but Corey, give us a, some insight onto you. Yeah, no, I'm the same way. I, I write down things, but the problem is that sometimes I write it down and I can't read. read it. I'm like, oh, I don't know what I was <laughs> writing there. Like, I also have noticed that as I like my, I look at my handwriting, and get old, older. I see parts of mom's handwriting and parts of dad's handwriting in my handwriting. I don't know if you guys have ever noticed that. Um, seen your parents, seen our parents' handwritings, but like, if I go in all caps, then I'm like, I can see parts of dad's, and then if I'm if I decide to do any cursive, I can see parts of mom's, but you know, um, I do have a, a wife that taught first, second and third grade. And occasionally she has to go, mm, what was that? I don't understand that one. <laughs> Yikes. So it tells you that, that there's a, it's not the best, but if I need to make it legible, it's okay. So I don't All know. Right. I'm probably, it sounds like I'm right there with you, Brian. I was gonna say we sound a pretty pretty level uh, level pegging there. We'll let Steve go first. Uh, Corey, I'll let you take runner up. I'll take best handwriting in the group. Why not? Yeah, well, I, I, I get rewarded. Like correlated to intellect, if you have worse handwriting versus best handwriting, so I don't want to be the best handwriting. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that for all of us, that's very comforting information for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, all, all right, those Steve. years of not of not working on my penmanship. Or have now paid off. This is what we were building towards. So, um, I, really, the big thing for me is that there's just competitive games take all shapes and sizes, right? You had uh, 
you had Washington USC, which was a barn burner of a game, but very little defense being played, very little like tackling, just like football. You, you may not recognize it when you're watching some elements of that game because there wasn't a whole lot of offensive line or defensive line play. Like just was, there was some things that were a little bit rough when it comes to just from a technical standpoint of how, how football has historically and traditionally been played that were maybe missing from that game. But uh, you also had slugfests that were played in the teens. I mean, the, the Miami-NC State game was uh, like, it's funny, I was listening to a, a Miami recap of that because I don't like Miami and I like watching them be sour and bitter that they've lost. Uh, but they were like, I felt like I was watching Iowa football. Like, <laughs> So um it was it was a pretty fun week uh some some title contenders got tested and even pushed to the brink k-state texas comes to mind um so there, there's some where it looked like things were you know, where where the game was well in hand and then all of a sudden it wasn't um so I don't know, like, I don't know if there's like a main takeaway from this week, but it was, again, another entertaining week that held my attention basically all Saturday. Um, and it was, uh, yeah, another fun one. Yeah, I'll go next, awesome uh, week of college football. Oh, sorry, I forgot I was third. Can you go ahead, Corey? <laughs> yeah, no, I'll go next. Um, the Big 12 semifinals were fun to watch. Uh, oh, yeah. Nice. Like, you had Texas and then Oklahoma and Oklahoma State and then – uh, Kent State or Kent, Kent State, Kansas State, and then even Iowa State decided it wasn't going to show up and take itself out. So, like, we have an interesting week for, with these teams. These teams now, Texas and Oklahoma State, have relatively easy schedules. Oklahoma State plays all newcomers, BYU, Houston, I, I don't know off the top of my head, like UCF. Um, and then Texas plays um, some of the remaining of the Big 12, but not quality teams. They should win out and they should go against each other. But if either team sli- slips, I think Oklahoma's right there in the, in the waiting to, to pounce on the opportunity to play. And honestly, I'd love to see another Red River shootout. Uh, I mean, Red River showdown. <clears throat> Sorry. And no, I'm just kidding. And, uh, <laughs> but it'd be interesting to see what, how Texas does without their quarterback. They, they looked okay, but there were some turnovers that, in that second half that allowed Kansas State to get back in the game. Um, overall, I think, yeah, teams – played well, but they had turnovers and let other teams get back in the game that probably shouldn't have been there. Um, I'm looking at, like, Clemson was kind of close with that. Texas was close with that. Um, there were quite a number of teams that, that had had issues with turnovers that nearly cost them or cost them the game. Um, taking an Air Force as well. Um, yeah, just, just an interesting week of football. Yeah, for me, despite the awesome USC-Washington game, this was a SEC week, and it was a uh, Big 12 week for me. The Kansas State-Texas game, first of all, we've talked about Sarkeesian and, and Corey's skepticism that I think all of us to share to some degree of his in-game uh, coaching. Again, not the problem. Uh, we talked about that with no, Oklahoma, no. Um, and we said, hey, this was a close game that you lost, but it, you didn't lose it because of Sark. This game should have been close, um, and it was not Sark's fault. It was players uh, coming up with have fumbles, basically handing the ball away. Um, to keep it close. Kansas State really wasn't being that competitive with, with Texas, but they end up taking them to overtime. Um, and, and that's not to you know disrespect Kansas State, but that's just kind of, I don't think this would be as close if they played it again uh, this next week. Uh, then you look at Oklahoma State, who I've been riding with my picks the last several weeks. Uh, this is 
perhaps the most Mike Gundy season of all time. They had an absolute exodus through the transfer portal at Spencer Sanders, their quarterback for several years ago, uh, a lot of other players. And it was just like, well, who's going to be left to do anything here? And now they're staring down a potential 10 and two. Um, they've got to go beat some newcomers in the big 12 to, to reach that and to make it to the big 12 title game. Um, so that, I don't know that I, I couldn't, I, I picked them for this last week to beat Oklahoma, but it was really with heart, not head. Uh, and, and surprisingly they get the job done. Um, and then the SEC really came to life to me for this week. Um, it, it has been a little bit, I don't want to say boring, because no college football is super boring to me, but a little bit lackluster in terms of watching SEC football this year for me. LSU-Alabama was an excellent game. Ole Miss-Texas A&M was an excellent game. Florida-Arkansas was an awesome game. Uh, Georgia-Missouri, the the big, you know, bigger programs, the bigger brands within this uh this conference came together, collided, and, and gave us a lot of things to think about going forward. Where some looked, you know, like Georgia's looking really good. Um, they didn't cover the spread, but like I think they played well again. That Missouri game didn't give me any reason to think that they're not gonna go through to the SEC title game. But now is the first time in a little bit where I've thought, okay, Bama, they just have the one loss to Texas. They're looking as strong as they've looked all season uh, in this win over LSU. All they've got to do is win out, uh, and, and they need one loss from somebody else somewhere, that's probably going to happen. Uh, you know, I, I think that's that's pretty reasonable. They might be right in there. They might not even need the one loss. Who knows? Um, They'll need Texas to lose, I think, or Texas to win out. Oh, probably true. Probably One true. of those two. Um, but yeah, just a, an awesome week, and the, the playoff conversation is coming together and starting to get more and more interwoven, and just as you think a team might be out, they're back in, and uh, as soon as you think a team is in, they're back out. Um, I'm excited to see how, how it unfolds, but really uh, a great week, especially in those two conferences, Big 12 and, and SEC. Um, with that, we're going to jump right into some of the games that we had this week. Um, we'll start with the number one team in the country, who is your Ohio State Buckeyes. One by 21, uh, 21 19. Um, yep. One in, in big fashion over Rutgers, but the score is a little bit flattering to Ohio State overall. Corey, why don't you tell us a little bit about that one? Dude, Rutgers made this uh, an interesting game. I think they led like 7-6 at halftime or down by 7-6. I can't remember exactly. I think they were 9-7 at half. 9-7 at half? I don't know. But they made it a close game until they decided to throw that a little pop pass and overthrew the pop pass, and Ohio State takes it for a touchdown, like 90-something three yards or something like that for a touchdown, and that – kind of springboards Ohio State and says, all right, we need to start playing this game because Rutgers have played good defense against them and was able to move the ball. They weren't able to finish, but they were able to move the ball and put field goals on the board. And if you just turn a few of those field goals into a touchdown, and even if like you don't turn over that one ball, I mean, that's a that's a potentially 10-point spring swing right there. All right, we're, we're within a touchdown difference here, potentially even 14-point swing. So, I mean, it, it's sad. This Greg Schiano team is, is fighting really well. Um, just imagine if they had real talent on the team. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, a couple things I had to say on this. Like, um, number one, there's I, there, that pick six. There's a questionable targeting that does not get called on that play. Where where at? It's it's on on the person who's hit that causes the carom. Like, calls, that causes that ball to bounce. Calls the ball, it causes the ball to bounce. Like it's the hit after. 
that there's there's one that i mean they they talked with you know on the broadcast they brought in their rules expert who was like i can't remember exactly how he worded it but he kind of defended the no call to me i i've seen a lot weaker targetings called uh we, we may talk about one a little bit later um just like somewhere it's like to me just because the helmet's touch just doesn't doesn't necessarily mean it's targeting right like it that, that to me is the thing that I think is getting lost where it's like, if their helmets touch at all, it's now it's targeting. It's, it's helmet to helmet or it's like, you know, if I lead with my shoulder, my head is not far away from my shoulder. That's human anatomy, right? Like there, there's just not a big distance here. And so it's not uncommon for us to like, where is the contact actually being initiated to me is, is really should be the question. Like, all right, if I am so anyway, so that was a questionable no call in that game. That would have changed things. Um, I'm going to go back to kind of the, 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 again, I need to coin whatever the phrase is for this principle. Um, I, I don't kick field goals when, I, when I'm when i in one score games. Like uh, Rutgers, fine. You want to kick that first field goal to bring it within, you know, three to seven, get on the board, fine. I'm not kicking a field goal being down by one score to be down by a smaller one score. Like, um and, and that was the name of the game. Rutgers field goals in that first half, they hit a field goal uh, on fourth and two from the Ohio State four. They hit a field goal on fourth and goal from the Ohio State three. And then they hit a field goal uh, yeah. at, at third and goal um, with, you know, that one's with no time left on the clock. That one's to me is a little bit more permissible, right? There's three seconds left. All right, fine. Like if you want to kick that one and, and that one is, to take the lead, but you just had three at bats in the second quarter within the five. I, I think at some point you have to say, there's just not a whole lot of likelihood we're going to prevent Ohio state, which again is not the prolific offense that we've come to associate with Ohio state in the last five to seven years, but all the same, it still has a ton of talent on that side of the ball. I just don't think it's likely that you're going to pull them into a 20 point game, particularly if you're Rutgers, if you're Notre Dame, different story right you have a, you have a really talented defense you can probably keep that game in the teens or the low 20s i just think you have to score some points at some point and give yourself a chance and um, really put some game pressure on ohio state i think at nine seven at halftime i don't think ohio state's sweating it at all but if you turn one of those into a touchdown and you're up 13 seven you know that that's a different story like and they, yeah, they and, moved and the he, ball. Like you said, they were in the five within the five yard line for those field goals. But even when they have the turnovers on downs, they're like at the seventeen or at the six. Yeah, and they can't finish. Mm -hmm. um, so like, this is a bend don't break from Ohio State a little bit. Definitely. Yeah, and to their credit, they didn't. Um, as I was following, I was there was a lot of great games in the slate, and I didn't swap, follow this one as closely as mm -hmm. others. But it it seemed to me that the one of the key differences is oh. Rutgers isn't finishing their drives and getting touchdowns. Ohio State is, at least in the second half, uh, is able to do that. And and that's where it was 9-7 at half, and it's like, well, if you had, you know, you have to kind of, like, flip the coin sometimes and risk what it is, because it's like, if you go for, you know, go for it on fourth, you're not guaranteed to score. We have to take the chance of, like, what if we were, you know, 21-7 at half, or, or two of them are touchdowns, because, like, again, the one at the end is time's expiring is a little bit different um you you kind of have to play on that what if if you're making an upset if if you're a evenly matched team 
it becomes a little bit more, I don't know, to me it becomes a little bit more, hey, we'll stick with them, stay close, and then we'll take our, our other opportunities that we get. When you have these opportunities as a team that is so outmatched, I think you you have to roll the dice uh, and, and give it a shot. Um, nonetheless, Ohio State goes ahead and, and takes care of business. They are likely to be uh, the number one team still um, by the college football playoff ranking, which, again, doesn't matter yet. Steven's shaking his head. He's thinking we might get I don't think Georgia. So. I think Georgia um, takes them over. We'll see. We'll see. Um, uh, any other thoughts on that game before we move on to Texas and Kansas State? All right, Corey, I'm going to let you, you dive in on that one. Texas comes close to their second loss of the year. They go to overtime, but get the win. Tell us your thoughts. Yeah, so Texas comes out, and they're – what up 17 nothing and i'm like okay this game's over let's move on to another game and then uh, i i see the score coming back and i'm like all right let's go back and figure out what happened and watch this and in reality it's just like you said brian from the beginning I, i'm not a big believer in sark sark has not cost him a game this year it's been players that have cost I coached him a, game. a really good game yeah yeah and in reality they have i think they have an interception and they have a fumble on back-to-back plays within the 30 their own 30 yard line and kansas state is able to score two touchdowns off of that and make it a real game um, they are very, 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 very lucky that Kansas State botches that extra point in the end and then decides to go for it on fourth down, um, which we all know Steve thinks was the right call, and I'm not sure if I, I do. So <laughs> When you've missed two field goals, like, it's not guaranteed. Everyone's acting right now, like – Oh, I I kick that. I go into the next overtime. Like you don't know if he's gonna make it. You don't like. But you've had to me. That's that to me was the bigger risk is sending out that kicker. I agree. But you had three very poor plays, and then you ran a fourth, even poorer play within those last ten yards. Like I I might risk the kick. I don't know. Either way, it ends up with a loss, and and the team that honestly should have been should be moving forward does move forward. Um, it sucks for them because they don't have Quinn Ewers, and so they're doing it with their backup. Um, and in reality, I think if Quinn was out in this game, they'd be dominating these games. And so I hope that Quinn comes back at the end of the season so that we do get to see this Texas team at full strength because this is a Texas team that beat – granted, it's not the Bama that is now, right? They beat the Bama that struggled with UA – or with – what is it? US, yeah, UA, USF. USF. Yeah, USF. Like, they beat that Bama. Could they beat this Bama? I think they probably could. I think that they could have – and I think they could beat the OU that they faced previously. Um, but they just got to continue to click. This Texas team is good when they have all their, all their weapons. Um, but yeah. Steve thoughts on it. Yeah. I mean, Corey hit the nail on the head. And actually, if you go back and listen to our preview episode, I feel like we were all over this one. We were like, if Quinn Ewers plays this game, I don't think it's, it's not like a blowout, but it's not – I don't think the game's in jeopardy uh, for, for Texas deep into it. And really, truth be told, yeah, without a, a couple of turnovers, this one isn't close for you – know, even with a only an okay effort from uh, from Malik Murphy. Uh, but resilience from Kansas State is is impressive. Like, again, that's a, that's a program that's easy to root for from the outside looking in. Um, I yeah had no problem with them going for it on the, the final, you know, four four yards out. Like again, the kicking game has missed an extra point and and a potential tying field goal with what two minutes left. Let's see when did he take that field goal? Yeah, with one forty. 
45 and it's a 27 yarder that he misses like so I, you can't trust that guy to go out there and kick that i mean if you if you do and he misses your entire team probably like think of your offensive players where it's like you aren't going to give us one more crack at the end zone and not only is it like that crack of the end zone isn't just to keep the game going, which kicking a field goal, which is already a roll of the dice, only pres- you know only continues the game, right? It doesn't it doesn't no. give you the opportunity to win. If you score a touchdown, you're walking them off, and you know, and you've pulled a huge win, uh, including one that in conference would you know essentially give you the inside track to to the Big Twelve championship game. So I don't have any problem with the 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 call there. I mean, Texas is a good team, right? You're not expected to win. You weren't expected to win going into the game. Why not roll the dice on one play and see, like, hey, if if we can win, I don't I don't blame one bit for taking that shot. So like, I, I would have done the same thing. It's funny. So like, maybe I should tell the story. So like, I was following games. So I was kind of uh, as I was going. I wasn't like watching anything like super intently. I was kind of doing other things, but they were going on in the background. And this one, you know, like with the YouTube TV, like I had like the sound on a separate of like the four games that I had going on at that time. And then all of a sudden I just noticed that the score was like that Kansas State was scoring a touchdown to potentially take the lead with an extra point, which they missed. And then I, okay, I was like, okay, I'll just listen to this one as I'm kind of doing other things. Was, you know, just spending some time with our daughter and, and had my head down a little bit. But um, then we went to our niece's piano recital as it's going into overtime. And so I just like mentioned it to my wife. So we had it like playing on like my phone is now streaming it and it's playing through the speakers in our car via Bluetooth. And, and so I'm driving as the whole thing's going on. And, and she's just asking me like, they're going to go for it. You know, I was like, I think this is the right decision. Well, oh, I think I told her once can or once Texas kicked a field goal in overtime, I was like, if I'm Cleman, I'm telling my offensive coordinator, I'm telling Colin Klein, you have four downs every set of downs that we get here from the 25 in um, because like, I've got the chance to win the game and steal a game that I really didn't deserve. Uh, and, and then it goes to fourth down. She's like, what are you, what are you going to do? I was like, yeah, it's easy for me to armchair quarterback it right now. Like, and even then, like, it's like, oh, dude, you get back to that indecision. Like, is this the right call? Is it the wrong it, that's why they're paying the big bucks, I guess. I, I had no problem with it. People they are did, mad because of the result. They did hit a 45-yarder as time expired, so he had hit one since the, the two misses to kind of force it. Yeah. So he kind of got, had a chance to get his head right and did get his head right when the pressure was on. So I'm like, I can see it working out. But Yeah, yeah. but I, I mean, the, the short kicks where it's uh, – correct me if I'm wrong, they are on the right hash, right? It's at a weird angle. Um yeah, I think we're on the. You could have played the center too, like if you depending. I I don't. Remember. That's that's true. Like you could yeah go like unbalanced on it and on the, on that on that next on that third down and then they do. I just think at some point like that's that's in his head where it's like I I've been this close to it and I've missed two already. I I just like I don't blame him one bit for saying like you know what let's let's just try our hand at an offensive play from the four and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. I. I kind of side on the same side there, at least on the can't blame him side. Um, it, it becomes a lot harder if you're there on actually making the decision. Um, but I do wonder if Kansas State felt like they started to find just like a little bit of a gap in Texas's defense because overall they couldn't run the ball all game. 
Um, and throwing wasn't super easy, but it had a decent day. Um, Will Howard, you know, had to carry the load for them and did. Um, but towards the end of that game, when they have the two turnovers that they convert, they convert to touchdowns. Not only do they convert them, but they do it extremely quickly and with big chunk plays down the field. Um, and I wonder if they had just grown enough confidence in that offense of, hey, we, like this Texas team, yeah, they were stopping us all up, especially the whole first half. But now we feel like we've got at least a little bit, um, I don't know, see, seeing some uh, place in the secondary to exploit. Um, and, and it's hard for me to say because, one, I don't coach football, so I don't know what I'm talking about that. And, two, I can't see what the safeties are doing on most plays um, just because of the view <laughs> that you have on television. So so there's some limitation there. But, like, I understand you, your growing confidence in the offense, especially in the fourth quarter. Yes, they're given very good field position by some some – uh, turnovers, but they also don't struggle with it. They they march immediately into the end zone. Um, Texas is going to need Quinn Ewers back quickly. Um, uh, quickly may, may be an overstatement. I think Malik Murphy is extremely talented, but he's shown in two consecutive games that he will just throw it to you, possibly. Um, you know, it's, it's not a total impossibility that he's going to throw it straight to a defender. Um, and that's kind of a, a quality that's an absolute no-go for a quarterback. It's Hey, I need your your interceptions to be good interceptions or at least okay interceptions. He's had two in back to back games, really ugly ones. Um, so I, I think that'll be important. I don't know how many weeks yours will be out, but I think it'd be hard for this Texas team without him to beat. Well, I guess they're not. They might not have Oklahoma in the title game. Um, yeah, they could probably beat Oklahoma State. They just need him right by by playoff time, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, a wild game that really like. I didn't see being wild. Um, I, I did, sorry, I did prior to the game being played, but as soon as it started, I said, okay, I'm leaving this one. I'm going to go watch something else. Um, and then chaos ensues, and, and it gets close, but Texas pulls out the win. Uh, any final thoughts on these two teams? All right, we're going to keep it rolling. Georgia. Uh, Georgia has had a light schedule through much of the season. Uh, they had Florida last week, who they put a pounding on, but they have a ranked win now against Missouri, 30-21. Luther Burden got loose for one big, long touchdown. Uh, I'm trying to remember how it was like 40 yards, but I might be wrong. Uh, didn't do a whole lot in the game overall. Three catches on the day. They really limited what, uh, him well, and he's the I mean, the, the dynamic playmaker for Mizzou. Uh, Steve, thoughts on, on that UGA performance uh, getting getting a top 25 win? Yeah, uh, I, I think I mentioned this before. I, I I didn't get eyes on this game, so like I don't I can't speak to the actual game itself. Mm-hmm. More so to me. All right, this is one of the the tests. Which it's funny going into the year, I wouldn't have said this was a big test, aside from the fact that okay, Missouri played them tough last year in Columbia. Now headed back to Athens. Yeah, I don't think anyone heading into the game was like, oh, circle that game, Cir- circle the the Missouri coming to town. You got you better you know, better become prepared. Um, but they, they gave them a game, you know, like that Missouri team is really talented. I think they're well coached. I, I'm excited to see, particularly when you look at like what Missouri's doing from a recruiting standpoint, like they seem like they're uh, w- once those NIL rules became what they are now, uh, there are some teams that have donors and, and, supporters of those programs that have deep pockets that care deeply about football. And it's just fun to see some of them start to rise. Like 
SMU is one that I've got my eyes on. Yeah, they were the, they were the NIL uh, like original gangsters back in the day. So, um, but Missouri's one of them too, and they you know recruiting got Luther Burden, and you know that was like the first year that NIL was like really a thing, and they got him to say yes, and he's I think their best player. Like you tell me if you feel otherwise, but. Uh, and, Easily, yeah. and and they're again yeah he was mostly contained on the day but you know in a game where there's only 30 points scored by the winning team a touchdown's a big deal and so he does he does score a touchdown and keeps them uh keeps them in the game for uh, quite a bit i just think missouri is going to be a thorn in people's sides for the next little bit with uh with drinkwitz there who's a pretty strong offensive mind they've got the recruiting uh and the backing from uh, again you can call it a collect i don't know exactly how how it's organized over there but they've been able to reel in some big fish on the recruiting trail and we know what that takes nowadays it takes dollars um mm-hmm. and they've got that and and this is two years of saying you know we're right neck and neck with the back-to-back champs and and you know georgia's looking at potentially a three-peat and Missouri's the one that keeps pushing them to the brink. So um, we'll see if they're able to continue stacking more of those recruiting wins and then translating that into, you know, toppling the giant at some point. But uh, I think well-fought game from Missouri. Obviously, Georgia clears a hurdle. Um, from this point moving forward, Georgia has – sorry, I had it open. Now I don't. Uh, I think Georgia got has Go Ole ahead. Miss. Uh, yeah, they 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 host Ole Miss this week, so they kind of it's funny. I I wouldn't have looked at the schedule and said, oh, they run a gauntlet toward the end of the year, but it is not an easy stretch of games here. Obviously, hosting Missouri was a much different challenge than people thought. You know, in August in the preseason, as we were looking at this, Ole Miss has been a another surprise. I think people thought they would kind of come back down to earth after a pretty strong year last year. Uh, nope, they're uh, if anything they're doing better. I think um, on pace through nine games, they're sitting at eight and one. Uh, and then at Tennessee, which again I don't think Tennessee's a stellar team, and I don't think they pose a ton of threat to Georgia just on a neutral field. But in Neyland, that's a different story, and you know that's that's going to be a challenge. And then uh, at Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech's had a great season. Like they they've done better than I expected them to. That's that's not a problem for for Georgia, but that, that little stretch of Missouri, Ole Miss, Tennessee, I don't think myself looking at August, I would have said like, oh, that's that's a terrific, it's a really tough stretch so much as it's, oh, you're going to, you know, you got to take care of business uh, against Florida, avoid the letdown game at Missouri, and, and don't look ahead to Tennessee when you play Ole Miss. And it's just, that's not been the case, right? Like some of these teams, uh, the outcomes that they've had this season are a little bit different than that. So I just, Georgia clears a hurdle. It looks like them and Alabama are kind of on a collision course to to play one another. And we'll, uh, you know, we'll talk about that game when we get there. But um, yeah, those are my responses to the game again, with having seen only a couple of highlights from the actual, the actual contest. Yeah, for me, this is, Major for Georgia because this is your first not only game without Brock Bowers, but you're beating a, the best team you've played all year without Brock Bowers. Definitely. Um, and Carson Beck, I think, is doing an excellent job. They've done a really good job slowly opening up the offense to him and letting him do more and more. Um, he, 
I mean, watch him for, for Heisman this year um, because he got the, he has this slate towards the back half where you're playing an Ole Miss here, who, by the way, they give up a lot on defense. So you might, might, might get to look really good yeah. in that one. Uh, Tennessee in also not time. stellar on defense, um, but they're top 25 <laughs> teams you're playing. So it's against top teams. If he's able to knock off Bama in the SEC title game, I don't think anyone sees this Heisman race so far and, and taking it. Uh, I think he's in decent position right now, and he's playing really good football. Um, early in the season, I was like, I don't, I want to say un, unconvinced is probably appropriate. I don't, I didn't think he was bad. Uh, I just hadn't seen him do anything really, and I felt like, oh, maybe they're not giving him more ambitious throws or, or more responsibilities because he can't handle it. And then, and it's proving in this early going where they're starting to let up a little bit more or open up more. That's not the case. Um, he looks really the part looks like a top quarterback in, in college football. Um, and, and Georgia's just looking as good as can go. We're going to excuse Corey to take care of uh, his kids uh, and, and we'll, we'll land this ship. No, no problem. Uh, but yeah, Georgia and Steven, you kind of, hinted at maybe they'll be the number one team after this cultural playoff ranking. It certainly wouldn't be totally unwarranted um, with both the eye test that you have and now you have a win against your first quality opponent. Um, you know, that's, that's something good to have in the back pocket when you're Georgia. You've had uh, a lot of the, the the same sort of thing that we've been living at Michigan of, yeah, it's great that you're winning, but you got to play somebody for us to care that you're winning. Um, they did that this week and they will do it for the next couple. Um, so need to keep that rolling. Um, speaking of Michigan, I, I didn't get eyes on this game, but we have Michigan beating Purdue 41 to 13. Uh, Ryan Walters had some quotes before the game and talked about how he's going to have to switch things up. Now he knows everybody's signs are stolen and they've bought tickets to our games specifically. Uh, ultimately it doesn't matter. Michigan, uh, plows forward, does what they've been doing to everyone else all season. Uh, I don't know if you got any eyes on this, Steve, or any insights on, on Michigan. No, I, I don't. But you know what's happened at like Northwestern where, you know, Fitzgerald gets fired and, and they're actually having a surprising season where they're a plucky underdog. Do we really want to see what a galvanized Michigan looks like? Uh, because they're they're a really talented group and i i kind of went off the other day on like how i think it's crap and i i stand by every word i said i'm not taking that back what i am saying is that that's a really talented group and for them to have a us against the world mentality is a nightmare for a lot of teams on their schedule for basically every team on their schedule so i didn't get eyes on this game they've got great running backs they've got a quarterback that's playing quite well uh, defense littered with NFL talent, an offensive line that is very cohesive and also has probably three or four guys that will likely get drafted when it's all said and done. I, yeah, they're just they're a really, really good football team and a team on a mission. And it, based on all the evidence that I've seen, they better cash it in this year <laughs> like because um, who knows what's coming down the pike. Again, I, I don't know how bad they, they get punished because it, it's almost like the, the too big to fail sort of thing like with the – North Carolina basketball, fake, fake African-American history classes. Like it's a big enough brand that I don't think anything major is going to come down, but I do think you might see some of the coaches get out of Dodge at some point here before they get show cause penalties and things like that. All that to say Michigan's it's going to boil down to two games for them. One of them is this coming weekend. 
and, and the last one, you know, is, is the game. So I, I don't know. I, again, like listen to my tone on Michigan from a few weeks back. I, I don't have a bad thing to say about them. Now all of a sudden they're dead to me. Like, so I, I, I want to see them lose. And it's really kind of a shame because I loved how they brought balance back to that Ohio State-Michigan rivalry because for a long time, that game wasn't even appointment television for me because it just felt like we know what's going to happen. Michigan's going to lose, sometimes in absolutely heart-wrenching fashion for uh, for Michigan fans. I, yeah, it's hard for me to talk about them without going big picture. So um, that's really all I got. I'll, I'll at least hint big picture before I resume to the action. Sure. But the the yeah. Big Ten has sent official notice, like, hey, we're we're looking at some discipline, um, which I think is part of the process because Michigan will have a lot amount of time to give a response. Um, but gosh, I'd love to see something done this year because I know the NCAA is not going to get it done in that time frame, uh, and so they always punish somebody who isn't there anymore and. You know, it's the the school and the players who didn't play for that coach who end up bearing the burden of of what happens, uh, which I don't know how severe it would be here. But I would love to see the Big Ten act a little more quickly. And so you can actually give some of the discipline and punishment to the people who deserved it, or at least benefited from things that were done wrong. Right now, there's a lot of, well, this guy's the one who did it. At least that's what everything's hinted. And there's a lot of us who we're not in the know about it is, is the, yeah, he's definitely he's right like next they're to trying to give off, which is a whole something... lot for, for people not knowing I, that's exactly. the part. That's a bunch of nonsense. Like, it's no, nonsense. And, and yeah. And to the people, sorry. I'm, yeah. Like I said, I try to stay out of it. You, you go you ahead. You got 30 in. seconds. Go get it. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. So, so the people are like, well, it's not fair to the players. Like, well, yeah, like, uh, yeah, I agree. It's not fair to the players, but that's, that's life, right? Like sometimes, one person's actions have consequences outside of themselves, right? Like if I lose my job, my family's going to suffer. It's not just me. Like that that's what happens. Like life is filled with situations where one person's bad choice affects other people who may have had nothing to do with it, right? But that choice was made, it's been documented, there's all kinds of evidence like this this to me it, it, I don't know why you have lack of institutional control as a as a as a clause as a, as a as a principle and something that you can levy against people if you're the NCAA if not for this case like this is a lack of institutional control it is like point blank and and yeah okay i'll leave it at that uh one last thing with Aiden Hutchinson did you did you hear his interview where he's asked about Connor Stallions no okay i'll i'll invite you and our listeners to go look it up it sounds like you asked a uh, like a middle school kid about something he knows he did wrong, and he's just lying to try and act like he has no idea what's going on. It, it is hilarious. Aiden Hutchinson, of course, uh, first round draft pick uh, in the NFL. He's playing at the Lions now, um, but would have been there. Not would have was at Michigan uh, while Stallions was there and doing his thing. Um, very very funny to me. Uh, obviously, you're reading into like body language and you know, how people talk and it's not damning by any means, but, uh, you know, you can draw your own conclusions. I'll, I'll leave it with that. Um, lots of word salad. Yeah. <laughs> not even, it's, it's, it's just like, uh, it, you know, like a kid when you catch oh, them, they're, oh, they're like, I, I don't know how that happened. 
Um, <laughs> we're we're going to stay in the top four um, with uh, our, our playoff teams. Florida State travels to Pittsburgh. They go without two of their uh, their top three offensive talents. They have the quarterback Jordan Travis, but they're without Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson, who've been the wide receivers who have given team fits this year. Uh, nonetheless, get the job done, 24-7. to 7. Took them a second to get going, but Pitt, this Pitt offense is really bad. Um, I don't know if you've watched Pitt this year. I've watched them a couple times. There's one aberration game where they score 38 and get an upset. Uh, but everything else uh, looks a little more like this. Turnover-fueled 38. Yes, a very turnover-fueled 38. Um, and, and so this game, while it was like cagey at times, I guess, it never really felt like it was super close. Um, any thoughts or insights on that Florida State pick game? Uh, to me, it's more forward-looking. Um, yeah, having been you know, following the FSU program as closely as we do, there's a lot of speculation that certain guys probably could have played if push came to shove and, and if this was a game where FSU really felt threatened going into it. Um, so it looked like it was more of a load management game on the FSU side. You got Miami this week, huge game. Uh, so I, I think that that's part of it. To me, it wasn't even just that the the top two receivers are out. Destin Hill, the the number three receiver, at least on the, you know on the outside. I guess he's a slot receiver, but you know wide receiver position. Let's say not pass catchers, but from a wide receiver perspective, he has one catch and is clearly hobbled in the game. Uh, Hakeem Williams does not play. Deuce Span does not play. You were essentially playing the bottom third of your wide receiver depth chart right and and even some of them were not 100 percent, and you still passed for 360 yards like that to me is is all you really need to know florida state is better than Pitt. to me the question is moving forward are some of those guys getting back is is the speculation true that this was kind of a load management game where you're uh, not rushing certain people back from injury and others that maybe had something that maybe was nagging but maybe wouldn't have prevented them from prevented them from participating in a game that maybe the outcome was less assumed going into it. I think that you may have had some different players on the field if this was a game that was expected to be a close tight game. So we'll see. That to me is the biggest thing because without those players, FSU's offense is not as good. I mean, that, not a shattering analysis right there, but it, it really takes away a lot of what they're what they've really kind of formulated that offense around is, is tossing the ball to those two playmakers. Oftentimes it's deep in one-on-one scenarios and trusting them to make plays without those two, you have to find something else to do. And Pitt was, did a good job of taking away the run and specifically the quarterback run so that uh, you had to throw to a, a different cast of characters in terms of uh, this, the skill talent on the outside. And some of that stepped up. Ja'Kai Douglas, who has been, on you know FSU's roster through literally through thick and thin, and um, he yeah has a hundred plus yard game, uh, has made some big plays back in you know like you think of like the 2020 year he's or excuse me the 2021 year he catches a deep touchdown pass against Notre Dame in the opener to make sure that game stays close. Now they end up losing in overtime. But he also is a part that jump starts their comeback against Miami uh, right at the end of that game. He's made big plays in an FSU uniform, uh, has dealt with some injuries, and you know, it's, it's good to have that guy. I mean, it, this is going to sound 
it's going to sound however it sounds, I guess. But when that guy who's made plays for you in the past is that far down your depth chart, like that says something about the roster that you've constructed. But it's also nice to know that he's a reliable guy that's been around the program for so long. And when his number is called, he's ready. He's prepared. So I I think that that's really the big thing is like that's a, another hurdle that you know, that we were talking about earlier about games that like on paper four months ago before the season started looked like one thing and became another. That one looked like a very daunting road test heading into the season where Pitt was sort of like, oh, this dark horse contender in the ACC. They're not that. And, you know, this was just more a test of FSU's resolve to find ways to win a game when you're significantly shorthanded when it came to their kind of starting depth. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And there are a couple, I mean, you mentioned a handful of them, but there are a few more players that FSU rested or played lightly. Um, Jari and Jones in the secondary um, as well. They rotated the safeties a lot more than they normally do um, with the true freshman Conrad Hussey in there a lot. Um, I, I'm curious if that was, oh, this is a chance to get reps or if this is, hey, we we want to keep Akeem Dent off the field for a little bit, keep him a little bit healthier um, for for Florida and Miami um, in, the, in the last three weeks of the season. Um, yeah, this you you build it perfectly because looking into the season, I thought Phil Dracovic was a good pickup in the transfer portal. I thought he would be pretty good at Pitt, um, and their defense is, Same. you know, legitimately physical and feisty. Um, I don't think they're unbelievable at any level, but uh, they're going to play you real hard. And if they want to take away the run, they're gonna they're gonna commit to that hard and make sure that you have a quarterback that has to make some throws, which which Jordan Travis does in this game. Um, but ultimately, like the, there wasn't the total package there to compete with a team like Florida State uh, and FSU remains undefeated, likely to stay in the top four uh, in the college football playoff bowl. But we've got USC Washington, uh, an excellent game, a winner of a ranked opponent for Washington. Uh, they win 52 to 42. Uh, and admittedly, I'm going to say I didn't watch a whole lot of this one. I saw some highlights. I saw Caleb Williams crying at the end, um, which I thought was pretty unfortunate that you had to focus on him for so long with that, but uh, you do what you got to do, cameraman. Um, not not a moment I would love if I were him, but uh, what was your thoughts uh, and takeaways from this one? Uh, a, a real shootout of a game that was competitive for, for very much of it. Yeah, for me, I'm trying to think of like a good comp on the defensive side. I'm struggling to come up with one. Maybe it's Iowa, but I know that that's, well, that's kind of going to be a little bit insulting to USC. But when you're so so good on one side of the ball and so poor on another side of the ball, you're living on a razor's edge. You can beat anyone. You can also be beat by anyone. Uh, because if you, the game's close and low scoring and because you don't have an offense, okay, one coverage bust on, on defense and, and the other team maybe has a lead that is potentially insurmountable if you can't score. Now, the opposite is also true where in USC's case, like a turnover, uh, the offense punts once or twice and you've got problems. You have real problems. And, and I think that this, the same kind of principle extends to Washington because Washington, outside of one or two games, I don't think they've played great defensively. Um I think they're a little bit banged up too. I, again, I'm, I'm starting to follow that program a little bit closer. Um, so I think that there's some injuries on that side that maybe are contributing to this. But the thing is, I, I hold that team to a higher standard because I've seen them play 
physically, right? Like that Washington-Oregon game was a slugfest. I know that there was a lot of points scored in it, but they made defensive plays several times in that game to force Oregon to into fourth downs and then got stops on fourth down. And we just don't see it super consistently from Washington. So I think they're going to be that same thing where they're going to be on a razor's edge with any of these games. When they play Oregon State, is that this next week or is that a week from now? I can that, check that. that. That's a team that plays some defense. And, you know, it may not be the, the great defense it was last. It looks like it's two weeks from now. Um, it may not be like the best defense ever, but that's a road game. It'll be in a charged environment. And you're going to need to play a little bit more balanced. And, uh, you know, I'm, people would, when they talk about complementary football, it usually is like, how can I cater the worst part of my team to help the best part of my team uh, or vice versa? Like to me, it's just playing, uh, playing balanced and having balance on, on your roster where you've got talent evenly distributed from the offensive side of the ball to the defensive side of the ball. And, and and so on. So that's really kind of what the game boiled down to. The second that uh, that that end of half sequence is huge, right? Like I don't know if you're aware of that, but and Corey's rejoined us. Hi, Corey. Thanks for thanks for coming back. Um, yeah. So uh, you know, there's the strip sack that ends up leading to points for Washington instead of USC potentially driving to um, is it. Gosh, now I'm going to get that mixed up. I don't have the, I don't have like the game log right in front of me, but in where they were, where USC was potentially going to take a lead because it was a tie ball game, Washington ends up taking the lead with what like a, just a minute or two left in the half. Yeah, like forty-seven. Um, like yeah. Yeah. So it, it really is kind of a backbreaker, and it's I think the first play of the drive, turnover deep in their own end, uh, and then. The other part that I would say is just like so much of USC's offense feels like it's just sort of Caleb Williams hero ball. Like, I don't, I don't know how else to say it other than that, where it just doesn't feel like they're really running plays so much as they're playing backyard football. Like, it's so weird. Like he just kind of runs around and for them having, you know, I don't think the offensive line is stellar there. Don't get me wrong, but like, it, it doesn't, it's not, awful he's not always under pressure but it just doesn't feel like there's a whole lot of like like okay he's going through these progressions so much as he's waiting waiting until he gets pressure and then he's scrambling around and then it's all scramble drill for the i don't see a whole lot of like route combinations where it's like okay i'm reading the short then the long and i'm coming to the middle you know like in in like triangles which is more of a traditional like that's how progressions would typically work i just don't see that from them so it's so weird. I don't think they're done losing just because they can lose to anyone when you can't stop anyone. And I, I don't know. I, I, this to me is, is it's really interesting of both because I, I draw lots of parallels between these two teams. The difference is that Washington's always made enough plays to keep winning. Um, but they're still going to be tested. There, there's still going to be opportunities for them to stumble. I, if I'm a Huskies fan, which I, I kind of am like a little small closeted Huskies fan. I'm nervous still. There's still a lot of football to be played and, and against some really strong teams. Yeah. Sorry. I said they have a hard schedule left too. Yeah. Corey, jump in. What would what, you think of this game? Um, mostly my reactions were like, it was a, it was a good back and forth game. No, a, not a lot of defense being played. Like we kind of already mentioned, 
Um, it's just the Huskies made the right plays at the right times to win this game. Um, and the the last, what, two, I think two drives that USC has, they can't come away with points, and that kind of allows the Huskies to put the game away. Uh, the thing I, I get frustrated with is, like, you fire the DC now. I mean, I saw I saw a thing that online. I think it was Sports Center. It said like USC is allowed like 254 points or something like that in the last six games. I did the math. It's like 44 points a game. That's insane. Like, yeah, you should. There's no way you should be ranked. There's no way you should have. You know, you should have four or five losses if you're going to that many points a game. And in reality, you've wasted an opportunity to have Caleb. I mean, Caleb's a great quarterback. Granted, I, I'm with Steve. I, I see a lot of kind of like wait for people can't cover. You can't cover a receiver for five seconds. Well, if Caleb can make it, you know, last for five seconds and find them open, then he can, he can win the game. Um, like, but you go back into like the past where with the people that uh, Lincoln Riley's had, he's been able to scheme players open and, and have good design plays. And I don't feel like that's the same way. I, I agree with, with Steve on that. And so it makes me question how good a quarterback is he really, would I really take him? in the first round. I mean, and I think I'd get fired if I didn't take him in the first round as a GM, but is it going to pan out? I, I don't know. Cause to, that, to clarify by round, first round, you mean first overall, right? Cause he's definitely I mean, going in the first round. Yeah, I mean, I mean, first in the first round too. Like if I can go get, get, get a player that it's a surefire versus one that may not, if I can go get Marvin Harrison, I'm going to take Marvin Harrison over him for sure. But like, isn't the first quarterback off the board? Probably. Honestly, I, I'm not sold on the other quarterback that everybody thinks about, uh, UNC. Uh, oh, sold on Drake? Yeah, Drake. I'm, I'm starting to fade on Drake a little, quite a little bit. Um, I'm, I've never been at Brian's level, but I'm starting to fade a little bit on that. Like, these two te- these two quarterbacks have kind of choked when it mattered. Granted, neither one has that great of a defense, so I don't know. Yeah, it, to me, it, the thing that I think about with uh... – with Williams specifically, because he has all this, like, are you missing the early throw or is it just never there? Like one of those has got to, got to be it. The the way that he runs around with his head cut off and then makes amazing plays. Um, But I think about when Patrick Mahomes, he's been talked about, uh, talked to fairly recently about his time at Texas tech. And he's kind of like, well, I knew like I was the one who could play. So if if anything was going to happen, I had to like kind of throw it all on my shoulders, and that leads to you throwing some suboptimal balls or making some plays, trying to extend some plays that you shouldn't, um, where you try and do a little bit too much because everything's on you. You'd think there'd be a higher level of talent at USC to where that wouldn't quite be necessary to the same degree. Uh, but but I wonder if there is like a a tinge of that in there because you saw how hard he took the loss. Like this, if he wins this game, USC's right back in it for. Uh, for winning just about anything this year, you know, like you've still got to win tough games down the stretch, and Oregon's gonna be brutal in the in the title game. But but they're still in it, you know. They they still had a chance to compete for the Pac-12, to compete for, you know, hopefully getting into that top four. Now not in that situation. Uh, so I don't know if there's any of that that plays in. Um, but Grinch being fired, I, I know a lot of UFC's fans are are. You know, saying it's too late, but also I'm super happy that it's finally happened. Yeah. He's really had a tough, tough little go there, uh, and Lincoln Riley's going to have to get the get the next hire right because this was a criticism that was had at Oklahoma, is a criticism at USC. He's got to find somebody who can get at least timely stops, uh, so that way he can you know run his offense, which he's done really well for years now, um, and 
be confident in getting wins against teams that you should beat. Um, Washington, of course, not not being one of those. Uh, Steve, did you have anything you wanted to add on that? No, I just like I'm interested. I think SC is at a crossroads, which is weird to say in Lincoln Riley's second year. I mean, I don't think they get better next year. Do you? I think they're going to face a lot more Big Ten teams that are going to bully them like Utah has and like I expect Oregon to this Saturday. It It's going to get interesting out there. That's all I got to say. I would sit there and say, like, the Big Ten doesn't have that many good teams. Like, you have three, and they're all in the east, like, over there. So you're going you're gonna to bring two other good teams with you. you. You lose Utah, you bring Oregon, you bring Washington with you, and you're going to go over there. But you now you get to play the records. You get to play Michigan State. You get to play Purdue. You get to play Northwestern, the, Indiana. You know, you're, you're in a lot better shape because of that. So it, it may not be that big a deal. The other thing that I'm thinking about is, like, does it make it – does – Caleb Williams being gone, does Malachi Nelson play within the, the the almost within the offense a little bit more rather than playing the hero ball? Because I think Brian made a little a really good point that Caleb may feel like it's all on him and trying to save it save everything. The other thing I'm doing if I'm an Oregon Duck fan is I'm cutting out big boards of him sobbing on his mom's shoulder and I'm blowing them up and putting them in the ski section the entire time. Uh, I mean, yeah. Kudos to the kid. He's got a lot of heart. He's an amazing worker. But I mean, if I'm going against him, I'm going to rub it in a little bit. Yeah, I would say it's one of those things where you get it. You understand the human emotion, and like that doesn't bother you. But if you're an opponent, well, that that's just something you can use to target him and bully him. Um, which is not not for bullying, uh, but I am for passionate fandom. Uh, so <laughs> it's tricky there. Bullying. <laughs> <laughs> Real quick, random. USC's 2024 schedule, and it's actually by date even. Uh, they open versus LSU in Las Vegas, so there, okay, there's well, a team that might bully you on the line of scrimmage. Well, well uh, LSU have a defense in, in that game. I, I mean, that might be a score fest. It's a fair question, but yeah. uh, uh, Utah State at Michigan after a bye week. So at Michigan. Uh, then home against Wisconsin, then at Minnesota. So travel is starting to mount up already. Um, home against Penn State. There's another team that will hit you in the mouth. Uh, at Maryland. When I see Penn State finally beat somebody that's decent. They're like flying cross-country basically every other week. Yeah. It's nuts. I'm looking at this. Uh, home against Rutgers at Washington. Off again, a second bye week. And then home against Nebraska at UCLA, and then home against Notre Dame. Like so, that last little bit, they they don't seem to be traveling. It's yeah, like, they they stay in in LA for the entire month of November. Oh, minus Washington. Washington's at the very beginning of the month, but the last four weeks they're either off or playing in LA, even if it's in the Rose Bowl against yeah. UCLA. Yeah. I'm I'm just saying, like I, they're an interesting one to watch for next year. Yeah, the, the we'll schedule see. alone is is super. <laughs> super treacherous um i'll also say with the travel um you should check stanford's travel schedule for next year um it's Oof. hilarious uh F- florida state and georgia tech go to ireland next year and have less travel miles by a lot than stanford next year <laughs> um a lot of teams are going to feel like realize what it was like to be byu you know going across and playing oh that's true go. that's true um we're hitting about the hour mark, so we're going to pick up the pace just a bit. Uh, Bama versus LSU. I don't know if either of you got eyes on that one. This is one that I got to watch a decent bit of. 
um, and kind of similar to Washington USC, where not I don't want to say there wasn't a whole lot of defense being played with Alabama, but there wasn't in the early going. Um, it was a lot of matching shot for shot, getting touchdown for touchdown, and then Alabama gets the stop in the second half and gets ahead by a touchdown. Um, late in the game, you have Jaden Daniels get knocked out, and that's when you realize, oh, this is all going to be over for um, LSU. Uh, good work limiting Malik Neighbors for uh, Alabama. There's a handful of good receivers at LSU with uh, Ryan Thomas and Lacey, who's really good after after the catch. I, I think is one of the better ones in the country, better wide receivers in the country at that point. Um, but it was competitive through about three quarters, and then Alabama gets the lead, and they, they kind of don't let go um, at that crucial point. Corey, any thoughts or insights from this Alabama-LSU game? Um, Yeah, this Alabama team just seems to be a different team than we saw at the beginning of the year. They're starting to figure themselves out. The defense has been good. People said it, it's been good. And they've kept them in games when the offense can be figured out, but the offense is starting to figure itself out. And um, it just I just wonder how far can this Bama team go? I mean, you still have, I think, what do you have? Oh, no. Who do you have next week Bama? Bama plays Kentucky, then they play Chattanooga, and then they play Auburn. So you don't have a hard schedule left. It's just a matter of how does the Big 12 or how does the championship, the SEC championship look? Because no offense. Yeah, it kind of feels. Yeah, I don't think this game, Kentucky game's close. So and that's their biggest challenge, I think. Agreed. So. Yeah. Steve, any thoughts or insights on that one? Uh, No. I, I the, What I, I alluded to earlier is like. I think that targeting call on Dallas Turner was soft. pretty pretty soft. It, it was a I, really I hard hit, but the targeting yeah, was soft. <laughs> it, exactly. That's that's to me. And I, I really wish they would reinstitute some sort of like, if I hit the QB, like when I look at a slow motion replay, of course the ball is going to be four or five feet out of his hand when I hit him, if I'm closing on him and he gets the pass off. That exit velocity on that pass is probably what, 50, 60 miles an hour, maybe faster, depending on how where you're throwing it and how you're throwing it. Like, I, I just don't like how the slow motion replays, everyone's judging it from that rather than looking at it at like real speed where it's like, okay, that person's going from a dead sprint to he's let go of the ball. I have to pull up and not hit him. Like, so that, that to me, I didn't even think that was roughing the passer. Like I, I, I that to me didn't look like that. that that's football. Right. And I I I've heard lots of people do this, so I don't want to repeat the rant. But you can't hit quarterbacks high. You can't hit them low. Like where where can you hit them? Yeah, you can't put all your weight on them. Like to me, at some point, like that's just part of the position, right? It's yeah, you're a defenseless player, but I mean, to me, it's like you choose to be a defenseless player, right? Like, yes. You can, it, you it's can the throw same the ball away, me, like, you can go down, you can you have a number of options. Yeah, you can run, you can try and avoid the hit. Like, like I, I just don't feel like it's a defenseless, like, to me. I, I understand, like, all right, if I dive into your plant leg, that might be something different. Or even to your leg as you're stepping through one. Like, that to me is a little bit different. And, and to me, like, I don't know. I just... I'm. I understand that we're all about player safety, but at some point we have to just embrace the fact that, look, this is a violent game, right? Like it's it's we can make it, we can mitigate the risk to a certain degree, but there will always be risk in this game, and that's just how the game's played. And if we're not okay with that, 
maybe we just play flag football. It's going to be an Olympic sport this year, so or this next year, so or the next summer Olympics. So for those people that have that taste, that's fine. Like I, I like flag football too. Like, but part of part of the game of tackle football is being able to rattle a QB, and how do you rattle him if you're unable to hit him without getting penalized? So don't want. I hope Jaden Daniels, you know, is, is okay. I, I think the fact that he got hurt on it to me is a separate discussion from whether or not the hit was clean and legal. Um, so wishing him a speedy work, speedy recovery. Just one more thing. Yeah, Corey, um, thoughts. Bama's deep. Everybody talks about how good Bama's defense is, and I've heard some talks about whether this game whether this Bama win was more impressive than the four state win over LSU. Um, you look at the QBR, you look at the uh, quarterback ratings and four state held LSU to less points. LSU was less dinged up and um, the ratings for, for Jaden Daniels were, were lower, both if you go by QBR or by um, the, the other rating. So like the sneaky, the four state defense is sneaky. Good. Um, we're starting to see that more and more as we, we we've gone on this year, but just kind of something to kind of think about, like, hmm. yeah, no, Daniels people was are definitely early on in this game. <laughs> I I went back and like watched specifically Joel Klatt's response from who's kind of he, he he's light on uh he, he not a strong believer in Florida State this year, and and that's not to say that I I you know I I think they're kind of he had him like ten preseason, which to me seemed. That's fair, right? Fine. Like that doesn't bother me. Um, but his response to that so basically said, "Oh, they're a playoff contender." But like this week, after Bama beats LSU by less at home, not in a neutral site, he's like, "This is what all the great Bama teams did was they physically took it to to LSU." And I was like, "Okay, well now now run it back then and and think back." Well, Florida State had LSU at forty five seventeen with a minute and a half left. So well, and that's can we revisionist is- history that? Now, if, if you look at his QBR against Florida State and his rating against Florida State, that's inflated by an 80-yard touchdown on a true fr- against a true freshman because Florida State put the backups in the fourth quarter because they didn't have to play the actual game. So, did you see my uh, my tweet on like where they said here's all of Jaden Daniels' passing touchdowns of the year from from LSU? And I quote tweeted and was like, "Peep the score on that first one because it's 45-17." Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 It's. Um... It is the the front loaded schedule of Florida State is one that is in danger of being discounted. But if they win out, I think there's there's no concern um, that that will get mistaken uh, by the playoff committee. It's if there's any slip ups that things might get uh, muddled for sure. Yep. We're gonna keep things rolling. Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, um, one of the big upsets of the week, the biggest upset of the week, dare I say. Oklahoma State is as hot as any team in America at the country or at the moment. Um, Mike so Gundy. hot right now. <laughs> Mike Gundy is being as Mike Gundy as he's ever been, uh, and just being really competitive with the team that a lot of us had written off. Ollie Gordon was a player who wasn't getting touches in the early parts of the season. So you have the loss to is it South Alabama, who they lost to early in the season at home. They got run. Uh huh. Otherwise, this would be a playoff contender that we're talking about. Um, it's not, but this is somebody who is now in really good place to be heading toward the big 12 title game they only have uh newcomers to play against to, to finish out the schedule so gotta still take care of business down the stretch but oklahoma state they they jumped out early to a lead they're able to keep competing the whole way through and uh, ultimately when when it came time to get stops in the fourth quarter they got the ones that they needed uh 
kept uh, Oklahoma to a field goal on a crucial drive and then held them out one more time. Uh, thoughts on, on the Cowboys? I'll go ahead. He's at 4,000 to one odds for the Heisman, which seems a little seems like a little long. <laughs> I, I, maybe put a hundred dollar bet on that. Just sprinkle a little something. Yeah. Like, yeah. He's probably not going to win it, right? You've got Bo Nix in front of him. You've got Travis. You've got J.J. McCarthy. You've got Carson Beck. You've got Michael Penix, who's the, the favorite, right? Or, but I, if you they, can't if rule him out running for 300 split, yards next game. Yeah, exactly. And if those teams <laughs> slip, and he does run for three, 400 yards, 600 yards in the last three games. Like, he's does he start to be the stats that, like, tip the scale in, in his favor? Maybe something just to think about. You're not wrong. He's got the schedule from now till then to pile on the stats. Yeah. Uh, the big thing is like what it's going to boil down to. Like if I was to like kind of like cook up what, what's the recipe for this, I think you have to have Washington stumble somewhere and then yep. beat Oregon to yep. to take out both the, the Pac-12 QBs that are still in the running. And, you may and then Michigan and and Georgia stumble too. That's true too. You might you might need some some other help, but like outside of that, if he does it and then balls out against uh, against Texas in the in the Big Twelve championship game, like who else do you assign credit for this major turnaround from Oklahoma State from the start of the season to now? We'll, we'll, and I think you'd start getting a lot of like, oh, Barry Sanders, can, you know, you'd, you'd start to see like say, you, the ball would start rolling. So well, what you need is Barry Sanders to, to come out and talk about how this is the best back since me. Um, at well, Oklahoma he, he State. already hit the Heisman pose in this last game too after he scored. So. <laughs> Love it. I have uh, more thoughts on this game. Can I share a few? I know, I know that please. we're running long. Um, yeah. Number one, like, yeah, Mike Gundy is one of few like characters remaining in the sport. I feel like it's becoming really sanitized, and I, I kind of like the people that say what they think. You know, the, the Spurriers, if you will. Um, number one, he was asked a question. I think it was heading into the fourth quarter. Those like mid-quarter interviews, which to me are completely useless. But he has like a coherent answer and actually answers the question, and it's like really neat. Like. So the silent reporter, I can't remember who it was, asks him, like, hey, there's been a couple of fourth and shorts that you have been stopped on. How can you have better success in short yardage moving forward? And he's just like, yeah, they're running a couple of inside twists that we haven't really haven't handled very well. I mean, I think the physicality's mostly been there. Like, I can't remember exactly, I'm paraphrasing what he says, but he's like, he's just like, quickly breaks down, like, yeah, they've been doing this thing that we need to find a counter for, rather than like, oh, you know, we just got to clean some things. Like, you know, like, it's like, how yeah. much harder would it be? I'm holding all the rest of the coaches to that standard, just saying like, look, that's not, he's not giving away trade secrets there. But he's just saying like, but it is insightful or it's like, okay, he clearly is diagnosing it during the game and is going to make changes. Like, whereas the others are like, you know, I, I can't say anything that would admit my incompetence. So, um, so they, they keep it really generic or, and I'm not even saying that they're all incompetent so much as they're just like, like, why can't you just say like, you know, when someone asks like, yeah, what are, what's going on in the, you know, like, yeah, we got to get the ground game going. Like, rather than saying like, no, our, our pulling guard has missed his block twice. Like, I mean, I wouldn't even, you know, maybe not throw a player under the bus, but like, yeah, when we're pulling there, we really got to make sure that we're, we're making good contact or that, that are, you know, that we're taking the right track as far as you can say something without throwing someone under the bus. Like, like he does, he doesn't blame any player there. He just says, they've given us some twists that have given us some hard time. That's a good team. And we got to get it cleaned up. Like, Oh man, I, I loved it. Just thank you. Thank you, Mike Gundy for just keeping it real. Um, 
it's stunning to me that people are not talking about the missed missed it's i mean it's a non-call but the pass yeah. interference on drake stoops no one's talking about that is that just me it's like a really I, bad I don't, one i don't it hear is really it really bad anywhere and it is an absolute backbreaker yeah like, you get that go ahead Corey. no espn mentions it and says like because you, you basically trade seven for three right um yeah and they mention it but at the same time it's like a good team can't blame one call and that's the thing is like you put yourself in position for one call and like you want to blame the refs it's going to be rough but like if, if, if it was like they blew up multiple calls on you it's a bad call i agree it's but you can't be in the position to have one blown call but you would be yeah. after that so uh, and i totally agree i'm not even saying that the game's outcome has changed on that call because there's three and a half minutes left oklahoma state still has three timeouts like the game's far from over Right, but Oklahoma will be leading. Like that, that part is like they will be leading the game by one point. I think that's almost not up for debate. They would have had it since the foul occurs in the end zone, first and goal on the two. Like, I just I, there's no way Oklahoma's not scoring a touchdown there in my book. Yeah, I agree. Um, so it, it just changes the complexion of the game. Like, and you know, obviously that next possession that Oklahoma or that Oklahoma State has, where they're just salting away the game, like. Obviously, they would have probably played that different had they needed points. But it, to me, it was just surprising. I, again, I, I don't know if I, I agree with you. Like it, it changes the game to me. It, ch- it changes the way that those last few minutes play out. But my my biggest beef with it is like I'm not hearing anyone say like, "Oh, there's kind of a little asterisk on this game," which I feel like should be there. <laughs> like um, I'm sure Oklahoma fans are are still just uh, up in arms about it. I don't blame them one bit. It's that's a pretty rough call to miss. Um, but uh, that that's something that honestly like drives me a little bit nuts in not only in football but like in in I, I'm an NBA fan as well. I feel like commentators are too nice to refs, and oh, it's yeah. like if they have a terrible call or a terrible game, like you should let them know. Like or not let them know, but like you. Say what you see. Like I, I think as an MMA fan, I appreciate that they are willing to say, "Hey, this referee's doing a terrible job at splitting up this fight right now." Um, I watch soccer, European soccer, all the time, and they'll be like, "Yeah, this ref is just handing out yellow cards for no reason right now." Like they, they'll really go after them. Why, why can't we just be honest with our viewers and say, "Yeah, that makes no sense to me. Like this is ridiculous." Um, I, I don't know. I feel like they get brushed on the rug all the time, and it's like it very hesitant to blame a ref for anything. And I don't understand where there's even pressure to not blame a ref or not. I shouldn't say blame, but like point out a, a missed call. Um, yeah. Uh, the other thing I'll say is on your um, complimenting Mike Gundy for his interview. That's I, I love that sort of stuff. Um, Brad Stevens was one of the NBA who the former coach of the Celtics and they'd ask him, Hey, uh, what do you need to do to get Jason Tatum going? He's like, well, every time I pass him the ball on the uh, anywhere inside, they start to double him from the baseline. So we just got to make sure that he knows where his outlets are from there. And it's just like, okay, so you're saying what the defense is doing to it. And you're not saying, hey, this is where he's going to pass it. We're just saying he needs to know where the options are to pass out of the double team. You know, like th- that is, I don't know. I-, I love that sort of clarity. And it lets him be like, oh, you know what you're talking about. You actually know what you're doing live, not like, only throughout the week during your coaching, but as you're on the fly, you see what's going on. You're diagnosing. You're making changes. As a fan, uh, if I'm an Oklahoma State fan, like I like to see a coach who's showing he knows in the moment uh, the adjustments that need to be made, not just uh, the game plan going into the week. Um, we'll we'll move on from that. But the biggest shakeup from the from the week for sure is Oklahoma being outside of the 
uh, college football playoff picture and outside of the Big 12 championship game at the moment looking in. Clemson uh, has a big shakeup this week as well. They get a win over Notre Dame. Uh, Notre Dame has had good moments this season. They've had a lot of uh, moments where they didn't look as good as you thought they should, uh, but ultimately were a top 15 team for a, a long time throughout the season. Clemson finally gets the turnovers to go a little bit more their way uh, in a game and, and enforces some big plays and, and pretty comfortably takes care of business against Notre Dame. Uh, Corey, thoughts, insights on this one? Um, yeah, no, they finally took care of the ball, at least for the first half. And the second half was a little bit of iffy and they almost cost themselves. But, like, they've had the worst turnover luck and they've had bad turnover luck, turnover luck inside of the red zone while they're going to score it. And this week, that wasn't the case. They finished the plays. They had the turnover luck go their way. They forced an interception for a touchdown. Um, yeah, to be honest, like, I wasn't surprised about this. This is a Clemson game I kind of expected a little bit because I think the pendulum had, had to swing eventually their way. They still need to clean up some stuff. Like, it's very clear that they give the ball away too easy and too often. I mean, I think, it, I think off the top of my head, they still had two turnovers in that game. Yeah, they had two turnovers, a fumble and a – by my 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 top and then a an interception that gets run down to like the three yard line, and they almost lose the game because of that, and they they end up winning by eight. But this Clemson team has the talent; they just need to make sure they lean on the right talent and stop having the bad luck. Honestly, it's it's bad juju right now. They need to go get themselves a a, a garnet the goldfish, you know. <laughs> Dabo is uh, imploring anyone he can to buy the Clemson stock now while it's low. Um... You know, he he's had his moment with Tyler from Spartanburg. Um, it's really galvanized the college football community as a whole. But this is a big win for Clemson that they've really needed because ultimately I thought all year they're a little bit better than the record has said. But the problem is it doesn't matter. Um, you know, we, we, we judge you on results. We don't judge you on uh, power ratings. Um, so that that's kind of why, why they've been where they are. But you see in this game – especially with the defense that they have and, and Jeremiah Trotter to, to single someone out. Um, that type of talent can can shift those sort of games so so big. And I think this is a really big one for Clemson going forward into the next couple seasons. Um, you needed something to show proof of, hey, we're not falling off a cliff here. We're having a down year. And we're going to be back to, to being what they need to be. That and combined with usage of the portal are, are things that are important for them going forward. <laughs> Yeah, you're, you're five and four, and three losses have come with either in overtime or or from a within a touchdown. So it's like you, you haven't played terrible. You've been in the games. You just had it not go your way. Yeah. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what the rest of the year brings for Clemson. Um, I believe they have UNC. Is that this next week or is that Georgia Tech? Georgia Tech, then UNC, then at South Carolina. There we go. That'll be so, a good game for still, you want to get the, the win over your rival, and then a win over UNC would would look awful nice on the resume. Um, but that'll take us to the last game of the week that we wanted to touch on, and this is a game that I haven't seen a snap or a highlight from. Steve, I'll let you take it away. West Virginia versus BYU in Morgantown. How'd it go? <laughs> uh, not well if you are a BYU Cougars fan. Uh, again, we, we really cover BYU mostly because we know we have some listeners that have interest in that and have interest in hearing what we have to say about it. Um, yeah, defense couldn't get stops. There were some really interesting things like 
Uh, this is something I, again, we're an hour and 20 minutes into a podcast now. So I, I don't know how, how much I want to get into it. There's some things that were happening on their defensive line. It's like, what are, what are you doing? Like, I, I don't think that that's what they're coaching where they're like crashing really, really hard. Their defensive ends aren't setting an edge. They're like almost trying to like drive the tackle toward the center. And so they end up giving up like a giant, you know, the edge is easier because it's not even, you know, it's, it's being constricted and contracted. Uh, There's some weird stuff that was going on there. Um, I started the backup quarterback, Retzliff. I can't remember his first name. Um, he could play for me. Like he, he looked good. Um, and uh, he, yeah, I mean, obviously he's inexperienced, but uh, ha- has some juice to him. He, he, he's going to be one that's going to be fun to uh going to be fun to watch when they can like game plan with his skill set in mind but BYU uh, backs against the wall now when it comes to bowl eligibility thought that this one might be your best chance at it it's not even close now you come back home you're hosting Iowa State so maybe that's the one you get after that it's hosting Oklahoma and on the road Oklahoma State I I don't think either of those two look like even like reasonable chances of victory at this point so uh, everything's kind of boiling down to this week for the uh, for the BYU Cougars. But uh, West Virginia having a really good bounce back year in a year where they've had like tons of injuries and uh, that the team's getting together. Maybe maybe they're starting to turn the corner with Neil Brown. Uh, need to do some things to retain their uh, best players because that's been a problem in the transfer portal era for West Virginia specifically. But uh, yeah, not an encouraging performance for BYU fans outside of the quarterback who I think, you know, I mean, it's one game, but I felt like he played winning football. And I don't know if you've got that from Keaton Slovis on a couple of outings and he can at least he's mobile yards in three games. And he throws for over 200 yards in his first game. Like that tells you right there. I think a little bit like that he's, and, and he's without, Lasseter and I think Chase is, is hurt a lot in that game. So, I mean. Chase is out for drives. Epps was not available. Was it Epps? I'm going to get that wrong, actually. Lasseter wasn't um, playing. That was it. I think Epps played. Excuse me. I think I just misspoke there. Um, yeah, he, I think you can you can work around him. It was really tough ass to go to Morgantown in a night game and start your very first game at the FBS level. Again, he was a junior college transfer. Uh, but I came away encouraged with his efforts. I came away a little discouraged from the defensive line. Uh, I've harped on that a lot. I think that's the major weakness of the team is that they just don't, don't have the defensive linemen or really the offensive linemen either. I don't think the offensive line's particularly sharp either. Um, but yeah, I, I think that now that you've got a, a player back there that's a little bit more mobile, can make plays outside of the pocket and can potentially mitigate some of the challenges that you have blocking it up, that's going to open up a lot of other things where you can do some uh, zone read stuff, which will open up some more holes for the running backs, which they, they struggle to really get the ground game going. Uh, he's got an arm and, and can throw the ball pretty well. I think, again... Obviously, I think if you're BYU, your goals make a bowl game, which again I think boils down to this week. But outside of that, you've got some pieces to build on from the future. That's really kind of what I've been looking at for this year. It's like who are the guys that are going to be able to help you as you 
continue to make that adaptation to a higher level of play in conference. And, um, you know, you've got, you got some pieces there that I think there are some guys that it's like, he can play for me. And some of them it's, he can play for me in certain circumstances, but right now he's being asked to play all three downs and it's just not, maybe not right where he needs to be. But there's, there's some pieces there from, yeah, I mean, I can name them off, but like, you know, Sarah is, is a, I think, a pretty good linebacker. The Harrison Taggart transfer from Oregon is a pretty solid player. Uh, Crew Wakely in the defensive secondary needs to get his head screwed on straight when it comes to like not getting boneheaded penalties, but he's a good player. Um, uh, Ethan Slade is one that I like, but he, he's more one when it's like, okay, I need him playing more when he's able to play downhill and play the run. So he's more of a situational player for me. Uh, LJ Martin, the freshman running back, is really good. Yeah, you gotta he's keep really him good. going somewhere else. <laughs> I was gonna say he's gonna be really good for BYU next year, or he's gonna be really good for someone else. Like, so, so they, they have some pieces. It'll be fun to watch uh, if they're able to keep those guys on the roster and and start to build and become more of that Power Five caliber more consistently. Um, you've had, you know, the last couple of teams they've had, I think, have had winning records against Power Five opponents. So they. They've been at that level for a while. It just, I think it's unfortunate you're kind of in a down year as you make the transition, which makes it even harder. Yeah. Uh, Corey, any, any thoughts to add to that on BYU? Nope, nope. Well, that'll wrap it for, for the week and for our Week 10 recap. Uh, let's go into some parting shots uh, to, to end this off. Steve, I don't know if you have any zingers this week or Corey. Uh, I know I have just a couple. but I just want to take a shot at Brady Cook. You have five interceptions all year, and you have two interceptions in the second half against LSU and against Georgia that end up costing you both these games. I know you guys talked about the Georgia game. Steven said at one point in time he thinks Georgia's going to be number one. Honestly, if Brady Cook didn't play poorly in that second half, they would have had Georgia on the ropes. And the same way with LSU, he didn't play poorly in the second half, they would have had LSU on the ropes, but he makes those costly errors in the biggest games of their, of their season. So it's kind of rough. You're the best player on the team. By far, but just like Caleb Williams, you got to make the plays when you when you, the team needs you, and you didn't do it on your two biggest games, and they cost you. You're not going to get into the SEC title game. So, Steve, anything? Uh, how the Grinch stole USC's playoff hopes. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Fire away, Bry. That's brutal. Um, no, I got to to teach my son a new uh, tradition. This. Uh, this week, uh, he had never learned to say "woo pig" while rooting for Arkansas. Uh, this is Arkansas's <laughs> first week without Dan Enos as OC, um, and turns out significant upgrade. You go from scoring three points the prior week to 39, albeit in overtime, to beat the Gators. Um, 39 points to a team that just fired their OC is a, an issue on the road versus at home. Yes, first ever win in the swamp uh, for Arkansas. It's not, it's not great. Um, so, you know, Billy Napier, Austin Armstrong, let's figure out what we got going right there. It's looking real tough at the back part of the schedule for the Florida Gators. They also have a really hard schedule next year. So Billy Napier's going to have to show some real proof of concept uh, quick here. If he wants to, one, keep this class together, two, keep his job for a long time. Um, tricky, tricky days ahead, tricky days uh, shortly behind as well uh, as Arkansas gets that win. Good luck against LSU, Florida. You know, it should be great. Um, 
No, that's all I have. I'll I'll, I'll save anything else for for another time. Um, that's gonna wrap it for us. Uh, if you've been with us for this whole hour and a half, we appreciate you sticking with us. Throw us a like. Um, give us a rating on your preferred podcast platform if you haven't already. Um, and let your friends and family know about us if if they have an interest in college football. We'd love to have them join the conversation. Make sure to reach out to us in our on our social media platforms, uh, on X, Instagram. Uh, DM us if there's anything you particularly you'd like us to cover or, or give our thoughts and insights on till the next time for the next till the next recap or preview that we have coming up signing off see ya